Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Big stories. Big guests. The Big Picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Well, I got to say, the, the timing of all of this was suspicious uh, earlier. Than, and not to cast dispersions on the report necessarily, but it was really interesting that this report was released just as the new federal carbon pricing scheme was, was coming into effect, at least for the four provinces where it's going to apply. That here's this new policy, and oh, look, here's this report that just happened to land uh, today that uh, talks about climate change. Uh, this is from the Environment and Climate Change Canada uh, Department that found that since 1948, Canada has warmed at a rate twice as fast as the rest of the planet. Now, that sounds concerning. I mean, why, why would that be? But what does it mean exactly? That certain parts of Canada... We're more affected by this than others. Are we talking about warming in the summer, warming in the winter? Are glaciers melting? Wait, wait, what's the concern here? So how do we make sense of, of a report like that and, and you know, how we, concerned we should be about these kinds of findings? You know, joining us to talk a bit more about it is uh, Ross McKittrick. He's a professor of economics, University of Guelph, senior fellow with the Fraser Institute, focusing on environment, energy, and climate policy. He's got a piece today in the Financial Post, financialpost.com. Professor McKittrick, welcome to the program. Hi, Rob. And by the way, and I, you probably saw this Loblaws story this week where the federal government's giving them $12 million so that they can be more efficient when it comes to, to the refrigeration. I mean, isn't that the point of a, a carbon tax? As you put a price on carbon, it's a signal to, to the market that, hey, yeah, there's an incentive to, to get more efficient. So go and get more efficient. Why, why all the subsidies? Well, you're exactly right that... Um if they really believe in carbon pricing, that means they shouldn't be doing all those other things. So they've also just announced a new clean fuel standard, which is going to ramp up requirements for blending ethanol and other things like that. Uh, again, those are the kinds of command and control regulations that um, you shouldn't be doing if you're doing a carbon tax. And so I've been critical of the carbon tax, not because carbon taxes are a bad idea. They, they can be very efficient and much better than command and control regulations, but the way the federal government is doing it is they're keeping all the regulations in place. In fact, they're making them even more costly and inefficient and then putting a tax on top of it, which doesn't make sense at all. That's not how uh, emission taxing is supposed to be done. Right. When you try to do both, you kind of end up getting the worst of both worlds then, don't you? Exactly. You don't get any uh, efficiency in your regulation. You don't, you don't get the economic incentives that you're supposed to get because people are just responding to the regulatory requirements and then that dominates um, the, the actions that people take and the costs that they incur and then the tax is just an extra charge on top of it. Yeah. Let's talk about this report, which may have been released to, to coincide with the, the carbon tax. Maybe not. But in terms of its its overall findings and in terms of the rate of warming in Canada since 1948, I mean, from what you've seen, first of all, just, I mean, do, do we take it at face value? Um, well, yes and no. Um, 
we have very detailed temperature records in Canada in many places going back to the late 1800s. Uh, they made Environment Canada made a decision um, many years back that they would mark 1948 as the official start of Canadian weather records because at that point they feel they have enough to cover every region of, of the country. But um, that means uh, they're taking trends from uh, that particular starting point up to the present. And if, for instance, they'd gone back to the 1930s as their starting point, the trends would look different because the 1930s were very warm in Canada. So some of these uh, headline numbers that they're quoting about the amount of warming would have been a lot less if, if they were comparing today to the 1930s. Okay, interesting point. But if we're taking 1948... Are, are we then also looking at the rest of the world? If we're comparing the rate of warming in Canada to the rest of the world, does the report do that? Yeah, they're using um, the uh, an archive uh, created in the United Kingdom uh, that is based on a worldwide sample of temperature records that goes back to the 1860s. And so the um, post-1948 comparison with the rest of the world is, is based on a, a worldwide sample. So what conclusions do we take from that? Is, is it something that should concern Canadians? I mean, do, do we understand, do we have an understanding why, for example, that, that Canada's rate of warming would have been more than, than anywhere else? Um, I think actually that's a, a, a bit of a deceitful way to summarize it. The, um, what they're comparing to is the entire surface of the world, and most of the world is covered with oceans. And it wouldn't have mattered really which country, especially any of the um, countries outside the tropics, um, they warm faster than the global average because regardless of what's causing warming, if you have a warming trend on the planet, the land warms faster than the oceans. So the fact that our country is on land means that we will be warming faster than the global average. Um, but that on its own doesn't mean anything. It just means we're on land. Now, we also have um, part of the Arctic in our landmass, and uh, the Western Arctic experienced pretty rapid warming over the last couple of decades, so that also pulls our average up. But a lot of the southern regions where people live, the warming rates were actually lower. Um, so um, thinking about Canada as a whole isn't necessarily informative about what happened where you individually might live. Mm -hmm. So... Have bad things followed that warming? Did, did it have negative consequences? Because that would seem to be, I think, another logical question then, to say that, okay, this, this happened over this period, to say, well, okay, what, what were the consequences of that? Yeah, now that's a, a really good question because there's a lot of assumptions out there, including uh, tweets and comments from senior politicians who just assume that that means we have more extreme weather and more forest fires and floods and droughts and things like that. But going into the details of the report and also in other data sets available from the federal government, um, the number of forest fires in Canada has actually been trending down for the last couple of decades. And there isn't evidence of increased um, extreme downpour events. In fact, again, over the last couple of decades, um, downpour events have been getting smaller in cities across the country. Um, so if you get to that question of saying, okay, we had this warming, if you say so, I mean, it's not like um, people really noticed it at the time, but um, if we had this warming, what was the consequence? 
And from the report, all I can really glean is that winters are now less brutally cold at night than they used to be, and spring comes a bit sooner than it did back in the 1950s. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't strike me as a catastrophe. In fact, um, Canada probably benefited. Our agricultural growing season is a bit longer, and uh, the winter cold weather events are less hazardous than they used to be. Well, it, and it, yeah, that's that's one of the awkward realities of this this conversation is that if we look at it in a global sense, sure, we can look at scenarios where certain parts of the world uh, could suffer coastlines potentially, et cetera. But Canada is one of those countries where you know, in all likelihood, the the net result might be might be positive for Canada. Yeah, um, I've, I've been working on a project with a couple of co-authors on. Um, agricultural effects from climate change and rereading some of the early projections that were done in the 1990s. And a lot of those modeling projections said uh, exactly what you just said. There's some regions of the world that uh, it will um, have a negative overall effect, but Canada, among other countries, will actually benefit on the whole. So um, we're in a part of the world where what warming tends to do is it increases our growing season that makes uh, our agricultural sector more productive and our forestry sector more productive. And um, it's also better for people's health that um, uh, cold weather events in the winter tend to be shorter and less brutal when they happen. Um, so if you sort of tune out the headlines and just look at look at the information in a report like that, and the report itself is 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 pretty neutral in a lot of these sections where it's presenting the changes that happened. It's not giving us this alarmist story that um, we need to go out and panic. It's saying we've lived through um, some very small uh, climate changes, and we've tended to benefit from them. But is that always going to hold true? That you know, 1.7 degrees of warming maybe didn't do much. But what about another 1.7 or 1.7 on on top of that? At, at some point, does it become a concern if we get to it? Well, uh, yeah, that's that's always the big question. Um, uh, now, last summer there was a report that came out from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change that, uh, again, the, the media kind of misrepresented what the report. Uh, detailed, but the message from it was, well, if we have a one and a half degree warming, then that's a catastrophe and we have to uh, avoid it at all costs. And uh, I think, though, it's a helpful point of comparison to realize, okay, this report from Environment Canada is saying we had 1.7 degrees of warming since 1948. And so that's the scale of change that we're talking about. Um, Another 1.5 degrees of warming, um, if it, uh, all we can do really is look at what happened in the past, but if it's a continuation of changes that we've experienced, um, then at, at the very least we can say this is going to be manageable. I think we're, we don't have to panic about it. Um, as far as the very long term and the high end warming projections, there are models that can give you alarming projections of three or four degrees warming in a hundred years um, or even higher, but they are pretty implausible. And um, there would be things that we'd be seeing now that have to be taking place if those kinds of scenarios were possible. 
and they're just not consistent with the data that we have to this point. Yeah, very interesting. Well, your piece is up, as mentioned, financialpost.com. Ross McKittrick, thanks for joining us here today. Appreciate it. Thanks, Rob. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.